0: Thanks for listening to the AI and IT Ops podcast brought to you by New Relic. This is episode 10, the full interview. For all things application performance management, AI Ops, digital transformation, and more, check out www.apmdigest.com. Our guest today is Prem Norandes, CEO of Catonic. And now, your host of the podcast, industry veteran consultant and analyst, Andy Thurai.
1: Welcome to the AI in IT Ops podcast. I am Andy Therai, founder and principal at thefieldcto.com, home of Unbiased Emerging Technology Advisory Services. Today, we have a special guest in our podcast for a couple of reasons. First, he's from Down Under, Australia. That's our first international guest, I think, for our podcast series. And second, he's in the field that covers more than AI ops. And third, because he was in the business of selling and implementing AI solutions and saw a gapping need in what is offered versus what's the real need. So he found out Catonic to address those issues. So that's what intrigued me to invite him to the podcast. Here he is Prem Narayan Das, CEO of Katonic AI. Prem, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks,
2: Andy. Thanks a lot. Look, I'm really excited. And uh, thanks uh, for giving us an opportunity uh, far away from Australia to be part of this podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah.
1: There was a curiosity question. Last couple of conversations we had, I've been meaning to ask you, you used to lead blockchain at DXE and a couple of other companies before you were even uh, country managers, country lead positions for some of these companies. And you entirely left that blockchain and then you moved to do things in AI, even found a company to do, solve a problem, particularly in AI apps. Why, why the move? yeah that's
2: a very interesting question. I keep asking myself as well, Andy. So I have about twenty years of uh, you know experience working with IT. Uh, but the past seven years have been really interesting. My focus has been more around digital and emerging tech. And in the last five years, not just blockchain, uh, I've been uh, you know part of innovation for some of the large banks here implemented one of the first world's blockchain enterprise uh, solution. One of the bank here, uh, you know, built the center of excellence for augmented reality, implemented a lot of uh, AI. And uh, during this process, uh, what I realized is that while IT was doing all this cool stuff and adding a lot of value to business, they themselves were, you know, kind of, it's like building a, uh, a beautiful mansion but staying in rundown houses. They themselves had outdated uh, processes, systems, monitoring tools although they were there so there used to be a lot of struggle when it came to maintenance and upkeeping of the environment and i felt that there was a gap which needs to be addressed and again having said that you know catonic is not just focused on ai uh, or any technology our job is to look at how we can improve or make life of uh, you know it operations team better uh, using technology and definitely uh, you know at this moment ai is in the front front but we're also looking at Using augmented reality to, you know, visualize some of the output, looking at RPA to integrate to act, blockchain and any technology which comes uh, and which can make life easy, we will do so.
1: Well, you know, you used all the hot terms in there. You threw in blockchain, AI ops, AI and augmented reality. And if you add virtual reality, that rounds it up. So that's the whole idea. I think there's a lot of interesting technology out there. And
2: we definitely want to see how we can best utilize to make the life of the IT operations better. Because I definitely see that there's a huge struggle when it comes to their daily operations, especially post-pandemic. Uh, you know, their, diff- their job has been very difficult, uh, working both remote and the volumes going up. And all the alerts, right, with, with post-pandemic, uh, with people working from home all the alert monitoring tools have gone for a toss because everything is abnormal
1: now and everything comes up as an alert and they don't know how to go about doing the job. So, okay, well, so let's assume for a moment that I buy your idea that, uh, you know, we are not necessarily doing AI apps the right way uh, or at least portions of it. But so in the last report that I'm, I'm working on in this field uh, as an analyst, on an average, organizations have about... Uh, Uh, about 20 to 23, maybe 25 monitoring tools. Uh, This is not just some made up number, this actual fact, uh, the survey results. There is no need for an additional tool when already there is a tool sprawl. Having said that, why are you doing this? What is your differentiator?
2: Yeah, so uh, Andy, uh, look, I completely agree that there's already too many tools. There's server monitoring, data monitoring, network monitoring, I mean, there's so many tools out there. And like you rightly said, there is no need for another tool. And Ketonic, uh, we are not another tool. We are actually a platform. And what we are trying to do is we are trying to bring in a strategic overlay which kind of sits nicely on top of your customer's existing uh, systems, be it your you know, existing monitoring systems, or be it, in, be, be it the data lakes or the data warehouses or the ETLs which they've invested. So uh, you know, Katonic is more of a platform which sits nicely on your existing systems and assimilates data from various sources and give you capability although it comes with pre-built use cases around incident prediction change and whatnot but it gives you uh, the customer a capability to build your own model so what what we are doing is uh, you know uh, not only uh, doing a citizen analyst kind of a thing where uh, people can build their own report to burst the silos and get a 360 degree of what's happening but we're also kind of creating citizen uh, you know, data scientists who could come in and build their own model using their favorite tool to take benefit of the platform. So that's where the thinking uh, was, uh, Andy. Uh, we don't expect the customer to rip off or add any additional tool for, for
1: our platform to work. Okay, so a major issue in this field, um, especially... When you have uh, pre-trained models, the ML models get stale, especially when, when there are companies that offer AIOps solutions with pre-trained models, not just uh, you know, AIOps, but you know any, any company that offers modeling and model creation and stuff, uh, they have to deal with it quite often. Are you doing anything that in that front to help the ops teams that are different? Yeah, absolutely, Andy.
2: So, look, uh, like you rightly said, I've spent a lot of time working with IT operations team, trying to see what tools they use. I'm across all the APM tools, uh, ITSM tools, and their promises uh, around AI. Uh, although, you know, uh, they're trying uh, trying their best to do a good job, uh, but most of the tools provide models uh, which are more around anomaly and alert and focus more on monitoring. Uh, there is no... Uh, Uh, you know, special models or any kind of training done on those models using the customer data. And also most of these tools are actually very much focused on uh, alert and monitoring and four or five uh, personas in the IT operations and not catering to, you know, DevOps or testing and whatnot. So we feel that there is a lot of opportunity or a lot of uh, benefits AI and the emerging tech can offer to IT operations as a whole beyond monitoring. And that's where, uh, you know, we have pre-built models like change prediction. So you can actually use our model to predict a change, which is going into production to see what would be the success rate. Uh, you know, we are also working on, uh, you know, uh, build prioritizations if you're in DevOps. Uh, so what it means is that, uh, you know, uh, our, our platform gives you the capability to have models which are beyond you know anomaly. We are not anom- anomaly. We are into. We are not just anomaly detection, but we build very complex model, and we use uh, QFlow and Kubernetes as underlying technology. And for for for, for the ones who don't know Qflow, QFlow and Kubernetes, these are open source programs led by Google. Most of the large companies, including Facebook and Uber and likes of them, use that. So what we have done is uh, we've automated the entire pipeline end to end, so that the customers uh, when they get onboarded we train the uh, models uh, using the data and let the customers build their own model and the training happens pretty much automatically at click of a button and they go live and we also you know maintain and monitor it and ensure that the models are retrained and the new learnings are uh, incorporated so that's a uh, that's how uh, you know um, we kind of cater to the wider audience at, in it operations and because you can build any model you can actually cater to more or less any use case you can think of possibly Uh, in IT operations and any kind of, uh, you know, source. It could be from Workday, you can get source from SAP, whatnot, right? It's kind of completely extendable.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying is you would, rather than doing all with the pre-trained models, you would retrain the models with the customer-specific data and, and change the model and change the algorithms along the way. If I get that right, that's... A good thing and a bad thing, isn't it? Good thing is, yes, it's almost like uh, you and I talked about this concept a while ago. There is a difference between personalization versus individualization. Personalization is, you know, you kind of tend to personalize, but you just, you know, for namesake, you would do some sort of a personal things and you call it personalized. But individualization is, you know, go and cater to a need of every single customer. But if you are to do that, um, adjusting the models per customer specific, won't that take forever to go live? How, how are you dealing with that?
2: Yeah, so Andy, if you asked me this question about one and a half years back, I would I would say yes, it would take forever. But like I said, things have evolved quite a bit in the ML space. Uh, so just the way you had uh, DevOps, where uh, you know managing the development code from all the way from development to release is kind of automated using Jenkins and tools like that. We have uh, something called MLOps, which is quite popular now, which is basically your model management and that's what, uh, you know, we we specialize in. So we have an end-to-end MLOps uh, pipeline built as part of the platform and it's completely built on open source technology like QFlow and Kubernetes. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, when you're building a model, uh, model, uh, you know, training and model creation is just one part, right? So you also have data preparation. So you need to, so if you need to build a particular, if you're solving a particular problem and when you're building a model, there are a lot of steps which you need to do. So there is uh, you know, data preparation part where you are ingesting data, uh, you know, cleaning the data, preparing the data, breaking that into training sets, so scoring set, and then you're using the data to train the model. So you're actually building the model first, training the model, optimizing it, you're validating it, and then uh, once it's trained, you kind of go live. And once you go live, you do a serving, which is basically bringing in real-time, real-time data, then feeding that inference and visualizing that inference or connecting that to you know RPA tools uh, so that you can act on it. And then there is monitoring. So there's a lot lot to it, right? And uh, there were many, many tools earlier, but with Qflow and Kubernetes, the entire pipeline is automated. So what it means is when I go to a customer and when I onboard that customer, uh, I talk to them and I understand what kind of monitoring tools they have. And I have pre-built uh, uh, connectors for most of them. I connect, I press a button, and uh, and the entire models are trained. Uh, the ones which are pre-built, and here we go. So that's where we claim that we have one of the shortest, you know, time to market or you know, time to value, because it's completely automated. So we use QFlow and Kubernetes to automate the ML ops. We use Ansible to automate the uh, entire platform. Uh, you know, spinning off right so when i go to a customer we can implement it on prem we can implement it on a cloud of their choice or it could be even implemented implement as a saas solution now depending on the customer we have ansibles for each of the options and we spin the platform on their uh, platform in in no time so essentially we are using technology to automate as much as possible so that we not just personalize but individualize because the value a model a model makes sense only when there is you know, appropriate data, and data is the key, right? And if you don't use the data of the customer to train the model, then you're missing out uh, on the
1: promise of the AI. So I I want to double-click on a couple of things you touched on in your answer. The first one is uh, data, and the second one is about RPA itself. So let's start with that data. Um, One of the issues with the data, as with uh, we earlier touched on, that there are too many monitoring tools. There's also too much of data, different types of data, different sources of data. There's uh, there is logs, there's metrics, there's traces. There is, uh, you know, mostly structured data, some semi-structured data, and there is even unstructured data, data coming in from change management steel, tools. It's basically data, 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 data everywhere. Isn't there a point that, you know, it comes that there is too much of data at, at customer? How do you, because sometimes, you know, Customers I've seen struggle with this, Um, you know, what's good data, how much to incorporate, how often to update, what have you seen in in the field generally? Very good question, Andy. So, uh, look, I I completely agree with you that there's too much
2: of variety of data and velocity of data. And uh, in Ketonic, you know, we, we have two layers. So we have a batch layer which ensures that all the batch data is ingested. And we have a speed layer. We use Kafka and tools like that to get the uh, time series data, which is high speed. But the the, the huge differentiator, or rather what we're doing uh, differently, is that we we have identified. So we know what the silos are. Right? The silos are your ITSM, you have your APM, you have your network. So we know the the silos. And what we've done is, uh, in the last six months, we've gone through each of the silos, and we've identified about 140 features, uh, which... Uh, you know can we pull from these data and we build those features and those features are then fed into the model so the way it works is we connect to the customers uh, data sources we pull the data those data uh, is mapped to our uh, features so the features are auto created uh, and those features are then fed into the ml model and what we do is we use uh, ai to decide what features make sense so uh, let's say if you want to do a change uh, prediction model. So what we do is we take all these 140 features, we feed it, the AI tells us what features make sense, what don't, we drop the ones which don't, and then we feed the features into the model and we get the inference, right? So from data to the matrices to the features, to feeding that, that's completely automated. And that's how, so when we go to a customer, all we have to do is, uh, we we just need to know what source systems they have, we map them to our uh, uh, data schema, and then everything else is automated. And the features are extracted automatically the models are trained automatically in the dashboards so we, we give a pre-built dashboards uh, for each of the use case and of course, we also have uh, a, a dashboarding capability where customers can build their own dashboard or bring their own BI. So if they've made investments in Tableau or Microsoft BI, they can bring, the, bring that uh, tool and build any kind of dashboard they want, or they can even take the inference and feed it to their flight deck. So that's how we've approached the uh, problem of uh, both complex velocity and
1: variety of data. I heard you mention uh, speed data. Is that Australian for uh, stream data? Yes. Uh, yeah, we have to do something different, right, on the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, right. Upside down. Yeah. Yeah. Down under.
0: The AI and Ops podcast will be back shortly. I'm Pete Golden, the publisher of APM Digest. And I just want to take a break for a minute to talk to you about New Relic, the sponsor that brought you this podcast today. New Relic has done something a little out there. They reworked everything. See, they've been actually listening when people talk about blind spots or being stuck with a dozen different tools or getting hit with hidden costs. First they went open source, making it so you can actually instrument what you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole stack in one place, including serverless. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap and there's one UI with all your tools. And they completely changed their pricing so you can easily predict it. This is advantageous because who has time to troubleshoot their bill? Best of all, there's a free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. So you can really make sure it works before you pay a dime. New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check it out at newrelic.com. Observability made simple. And now back to the podcast.
1: So in that answer, you actually mixed up two or three things that uh, that I've been seeing evolving continuously in, in the space. One is you Talked a little bit about future engineering portion of it, and then you also mentioned about future store portion of it. Future future engineering, extracting features on what you need to create models. Future store being how do you store, collaborate, share, and all that. And then of course the 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 usual observability and monitoring piece of it, which the last one our listeners understand easily. For the future engineering, future store, are you playing in that too, and why and how should that be? Uh, integrated into a how do you how do you see the synergies yeah
2: so Andy, uh, feature engineering is going to, going to be the future because as in, uh, more and more organizations are investing in ai and uh, you know uh, in order to maintain and manage the ai you need mlops but at the same time uh, mlops is about ma- model management but then when you're managing the models you're training and you know you're actually using the features so qflow so we use qflow qflow comes with a inbuilt feature store called Feast, which we use uh, for for our feature engineering. But there are many other startups uh, which have come up uh, as well. And uh, like I said, uh, we are not a product and we don't mandate any uh, particular uh, solution. So if somebody is invested or interested in um, uh, feature stores which are available outside of the Kubeflow, we can definitely integrate that so the future i see is that every company will have a feature store uh, in five years time every large organization which is using ai will have a feature store uh, and feature stores will then be opened up for all the data scientists so data scientists now then don't have to worry about data wrangling and creating the features then they they just have to focus on building better models because they know that uh, the feature uh, you know the features are maintained and updated automatically uh, so that's, uh, they'll probably then spend 80% of time building the model and not worrying about the, uh, worrying about the data because today it's the other way. They spend 20% of the time building the model and 80% of the time doing, uh, you know, data engineer job and you know, trying to create and populate and pull and wrangle data. Yeah. The,
1: the the other point you had in your answer early on that I wanted to double click um, is RPA. So a lot of tools... Particularly in the observability and AI space, don't necessarily concentrate on the. I don't want to say the integration portion, but more of the, the run book automation or scripting and and or the automation section of it. And and things are changing. Um, obviously, you know, you, you saw that PagerDuty acquired a big company to do the run book automation for hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and other companies are thinking about. Uh, or at least attempting to integrate with the RPA tools. Um, so what what do you think should happen in the future um, between apps and RPA and, and synergies and integration and, and runbook automation, that, that area?
2: So when it comes to the AIOps maturity, right? So a lot of companies who are currently reactive will slowly integrate the data source and then move into predictive and potentially prescriptive. But I think the nirvana is when uh, it's completely automated where the data sharing uh, among all the stakeholders and the businesses and the silos is happening. There is complete full automation. There's no human interaction, machine learning based predictive and whatnot. But unfortunately, there are a couple of challenges. Right? One is, um, uh, you know, you cannot replace humans. So, uh, you know, if you you look at Ketonic, we, we say augmented intelligence for IT operations. So what we want to do is augment information for the humans so that they can use their intuition to kind of uh, you know, uh, predict uh, do the right thing. But at the same time, there's a lot of automation uh, opportunity. So, a lot of things which are mundane and which, which could actually be automated can be done. And uh, when it comes to uh, the life cycle, so there is uh, observe or, uh, you know, so in the observability world, they say observe, engage, and act. But f- from a catonic perspective, I would say analyze, predict, engage, and act. And the act part is where the automation comes. And uh, one of the philosophy of Ketonic on, or, or me as Prem is that, uh, you know, I think there, when, when there are already tools which, can, which are meant for automation, no matter how much time and effort I put in, I cannot do better automation than tools like Path or Prism. So that's where, uh, you know, we feel that we need to partner with them and that's where we have an API layer which can actually integrate nicely with the UI path and Blue Prism. So we do the, you know, we do the observe, observe we do the predictability, we decide what action needs to be taken, then we call the appropriate RPA tool where the customer has made investments and all the automation, uh, you know, whatever needs to be done uh, is done by the tool rather than us because there's only... Uh, if a frog tries to fly, he can probably hop, but he can never be fly. So I feel that uh, every tool specializes in something, and you should try and use the best of the tools available in the market. Yeah, you
1: yeah, know, I, I I like that. Um, there is a reason why uh, whether it's a runbook automation or scripted and infrastructure as a code or, or RPA and the enterprises already have invested in it. It's not like, you know, they they start yesterday and then start building everything. There is an investment and there are things that are already done. So rip rip and replace never works. So if you are able to automate with those things, those uh, organizations succeed fairly quickly because they don't have to reinvent the whole wheel, right? Uh, Absolutely,
2: Andy, completely agree. Uh, And having sitting in the IT operations for almost 10 years, uh, I completely understand that over a period of time IT operations would have made certain decisions and choices which were right then and going to them and asking them to completely rip and replace is not only um, expensive, it's time consuming and honestly with the way the technology has evolved it's not required as well. Uh, we can always have a wrapper sitting on top of the existing investment and still get, get what, what what is the end goal uh, right. But then because m- many of these companies uh, in the AIOps are product companies, they're
1: definitely interested in solving problem, but they're also interested in selling their product. There is obviously this open telemetry, which, you know, CNCF-based, uh, I, I believe that's the second largest project in the CNCF consortium for a number of companies. So they're basically trying to define the standards, open standards, and have everybody adopt to a standard, and, and there's work going on that front. So, you know... Essentially, it's, it's allowing you to an extent commoditize the metrics, monitoring, telemetry, and all of that. So that's one angle. And then there is this open source angle, which appeals to the, the dev community because, um, you know, engineers and developers love uh, free or cheap. And it's fairly easy to integrate, too, because they can code it out without worrying about the enterprise greatness or security and whatnot. Uh, so the common examples could be things like Epsagon and Prometheus and other tools that have become quite popular. So the problem with that is, you know, when, when you have an AI apps tool that is built enterprise grade, it could take either an approach that it'll embrace both of that, and then hence it'll become adaptive and inclusive, or I've seen some solutions that they don't want to commoditize the whole thing. They don't want to compete with the market. They become more like a closed loop that you have to use my specific interfaces, my way of doing things. Hence, I'll keep you as my customers, which is a better way from a customer standpoint and viewpoint. And how you guys are addressing that?
2: Look, open telemetry is pretty interesting. And if you if you kind of uh, you know go back five years, uh, every company was trying to build uh, products and build connectors. And then companies like MuleSoft and SnapLogic came in, and you know they made connectors a commodity, right? Uh, and a lot of open source alternatives out there as well. And I see a similar thing happening. So if you if you if you see most of these organizations, right, uh, everybody's monitoring, everybody has tools, uh, everybody, like you said, has average twenty three number of tools. Those are not going to go away. Uh, what's happening now is commoditization of uh, you know monitoring, uh, pulling the data from those tools. And all these companies who are into AI ops are feeling that instead of everybody reinventing the wheel, let's kind of come together and have an open source program where pulling the data um, is kind of commoditized and accessible for everyone, which I think is really good because now companies like Atonic, I don't have to spend time building a connector uh, to an existing application or, you know, working on pulling the data or the monitoring data from these tools I can then focus on more value addition because pulling data is not value adding that's a that's something you do because you want to build a build a nice little model which can do a prediction for you right or which can integrate with an RPA tool and do something for you and automate and make life easy so uh, as a late starter I think the advantage we have is that there's a lot of uh, uh, you know, good things which are available. And we're definitely embracing open telemetry. Ketonic is compatible with open telemetry. We are definitely using those tools. But we are more focusing on building the model right. We are focusing on uh, more use cases. So we're working on use cases uh, uh, which traditionally uh, were not addressed. And because we don't have to worry about the uh, pulling the data apart, we can now focus, spend our energy on on more value-adding stuff. So that's probably my view Andy
1: Okay. So... Another common issue I see is that um, AIOps has a very broad meaning. Almost everybody wants to be an AIOps vendor, right? Uh, it, and the last check, there are about 50-plus vendors claiming to be AIOps vendors. It's sort of a technology. It's a platform. It's a strategy. And, and when it comes to enterprise, um, there are a couple of reports published suggesting it's a strategy that covers at least 20 different roles that need to get involved It'll be difficult to build for all those personas. Are are you guys concentrating on all of the twenty, or how how are generally customers? What are they looking for, and how are you guys addressing it?
2: I think Gartner coined the word AI ops, uh, and if you keep the technology uh, or the product or the strategy part aside, uh, the, I think the intent there was that you know how can AI help IT operations, right? And like I said, AI is just one technology. There could be other technology, so. Essentially, what we're all trying to do is how can uh, technology or emerging technology help IT operations, right? When you're infusing AI into IT operations, yes, there are a lot of personas, but there are three key areas, right? So you have uh, your engineering teams or DevOps teams, right? Who are doing changes, pushing releases and whatnot. That's one area, right? Then you have your services team, which is your L1, L2 and, and whatnot. And then you have your customer service team which is your service desk call center and whatnot right so so these together become IT operations and what we are looking at doing or what gartner was trying to do was look at how ai can help it operations and uh, when you say it operations these are the three key functions right Uh, and uh, like i said most of the focus has been more around uh, you know services and monitoring Um, uh, you know, yes, uh, security, availability, performance, uh, anomaly, resource utilization. I think uh, on the predictive analytics part around hardware failure, software failure, workload capacity, there's been some progress. But on the other two, which is your DevOps intelligence, right, or or your engineering, where around programming intelligence, where you could look at code defect detection, code review intelligence, uh, rollout risk detection, build prioritization, not much work has been done there, right, even on the services side, around, uh, you know, what's the sentiment when a customer calls, uh, connecting that sentiment uh, with the churn rate. So, so there are a lot, and, you know, looking at uh, predicting the number of tickets and planning your capacity, predicting the number of tickets, planning your capacity, and using AI to predict who your key SME might go on leave. Those things are not being done. And it is, uh, you know, it will be impossible if I say that I will build all of these use cases, I will be uh, lying to myself. So what we're doing is we're opening it up for anyone to come. Uh, so we let the customers build whatever use cases they like, which is their burning need. But at the same time, we're also looking at open sourcing our models and use the power of uh, the crowd to potentially, you know, let them build uh, all the, you know, and solve all the problems in the IT operation space. So that's where the thinking is, Andy. Uh, we're soon open sourcing all our models uh, in few months. And uh, that's the direction as
1: uh, Ketonic as a company is looking at taking, yeah. There were like 20 items in there, I wanted to double click, but you kind of solved all of it by saying you're open sourcing your models. So you supporting the open telemetry and open sourcing makes helps. Now, this, uh, this is kind of interesting because not many apps companies in the space uh, does the open sourcing of their model equivalent in which you could retrain the models and, and do what you want out of that. So that kind of is is a different concept, isn't it?
2: so we've embraced open source and we want to give back to the community as well uh, one thing is not just giving back to the community like i said it's it's not possible to solve all the problems there are so many problems there and it's best to let uh, the you know the customers and the uh, you know the open source community to solve the problem and the customers can then potentially use those models and you know use Katonic as a platform to kind of uh, you know, which sits on top of all the monitoring tools and get value out of it uh, in the way it, it was it, it, it was supposed to be, right?
1: All right. Okay. So we'll leave it at that. Why, why Australia for a startup? If you have an idea and, and a napkin, generally people move to Silicon Valley and then, you know, the VCs chase them like a fresh meat. Why are you having your startup, particularly in the hottest field of all AI ops in Australia, of all places? yeah look
2: I've, I've spent five years here in australia i call it a home and uh, because I, I live here we have headquartered the company in um, australia but we are already a global company we have uh, teams in india the product development team we have uh, teams in us we're soon opening an office in singapore as well so from that perspective uh, we are we are global and uh, definitely want to solve um, some of the you know problems which which are out there uh, for, for the community not just in australia but globally awesome Thanks so much, Prane, for the great conversation. Thank you, Andy. Uh, really, I really enjoyed the conversation, and I'm looking
1: forward to um, talk to you soon. Awesome. So you heard from Prane. Do you agree, disagree, or if you have an opinion, let me know. Let's discuss this further. Also, if you'd like to be part of our podcast, let me know that as well. Until next episode, so long and stay safe.